Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, I'll be giving you my very negative reaction to the new Obi-Wan Kenobi show, the latest episode, part four. If you'd like to skip that, jump ahead to minute 15, where I will be discussing Barry further, this excellent episode of Barry, this week's episode, with my sister, in preparation for the finale next week. And at about the 30-minute mark, we discuss the latest episode of Shining Girls, the finale, and the season as a whole. So those are your timestamps if you're only interested in part of the episode. Later this week, I will be reviewing the latest episode of The Boys and talking to Nick about Obi-Wan Kenobi, as well as other things he's been watching and catching up on. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. I'll tell you where they are. I just don't want anyone to get hurt. I give you my word. I'll have to tell my father first. That's okay, right? He said we're all on the same side. Nice try, princess. I hope you like pain. I'll never tell you where they are. It's time to make those tears real. Let go! Let go of me! Okay, so in brief, once again, I did not like this fourth episode of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. I will not be covering it next week. I probably won't even watch it, but I will definitely come back for the finale episode six in two weeks with my final opinion of the show. So that will be upcoming, but given my reaction this week, I just don't know why I would tune in again next week. So if you are enjoying the show, you may want to skip this review because a lot of this is going to be nitpicks and I'm trying to have an open mind, but I can't anymore. <laughs> and when I get into one of these modes, I just need to vent. And here I am going to vent for all of you. Okay, so I am not even a giant Star Wars fan. I came up during the Star Wars movies, but my dad wasn't a big movie watcher. So I didn't even watch the first Star Wars movie until I was older. I think the only film I saw of the original trilogy in theaters was Return of the Jedi which for the longest time was my absolute favorite movie, even though it's the worst of that original trilogy, because I was just the right age for it. And I did have the Star Wars action figures. I did the thing that we all did back when we were kids, most of us of a certain age. But I wasn't one of these purists. I was very excited when the new trilogy, the when the prequel trilogy was announced. I was disappointed with it. Nonetheless, I didn't feel like my childhood had been destroyed or anything. So I just say all of that because I don't want you to think that I'm one of these it's not my Star Wars. It's not my Star Wars. It's not the way I wanted it to be. I honestly approached this simply as someone who had the opportunity to work with this really rich mythology and make something new. Something new. With a character, by the way, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and specifically Ewan McGregor as the young Obi-Wan Kenobi, one of the few things I really honestly just without reservation enjoyed from those very flawed prequels. And here you have this huge opportunity. Once again, to do something interesting in this Star Wars sandbox. And holy cow, what is going on in this episode of television? And now the nitpicks begin. Let's start at a very high level. I'm saying this as a casual Star Wars fan, and I'm sure there are purists out there. Any of you out there, please reach out to me with more historical context within that history, because I'm probably getting a lot of these things wrong. But just me, as a cursory fan who's been around, seen the movies multiple times, I think about the scene in Return of the Jedi, 
where Luke is trying to protect Leia. Wait a second, sister? Sister? Remember? Remember when Darth Vader realizes that Luke is thinking about his sister? Apparently, Darth Vader knew about the sister 10 years prior, 15 years prior, depending on whatever that timeline is. Because this show has now taken that away from that movie. Also, when Vader and Leia run into each other for the quote-unquote first time, he's been chasing her down in the very opening sequence of that very first Star Wars movie, Vader knows knows that she's his daughter and they've had interactions. I mean, at least cursory. I mean, maybe they do meet face to face. Who knows by the end, of the end of the show, but he's been chasing her down since now. Maybe he's been chasing her down the entire nine years or 10 years since then. Maybe that's what we're supposed to be believe. But all of this, even if you can somehow logic it out, just cheapens everything that happened in that first trilogy and explains things that don't need any kind of explanation. If you even buy that, this makes any kind of sense. And now to nitpick even more things in the specifics of this episode, which is only 30 minutes long. They can't even make a half hour episode. They only made six episodes and they can barely get these episodes to be 30 minutes long. And there's a lot of walking around in a 30 minute episode, by the way. <laughs> it's only going to get worse, everybody. It's only going to get worse. So the parallel, the parallel storylines going on here in this episode are mostly Leia with third sister. Don't love seeing these two characters together, by the way. Haven't been a big fan of either one of them. And Obi-Wan hatching a plan to rescue Leia, basically with the same character who was the spy who rescued him in the previous episode. And so much of this plot is just so hand wavy once again. She's able to get into this like impenetrable fortress by just talking her way on. If this thing was so easy to infiltrate, then why, how come no one's infiltrated it before? That's a minor nitpick, by the way, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, Marvel shows, other Star Wars films also have some pretty hand wavy type logic. But just to speak to the fact that right away, I just feel like they're just kind of doing the most lazy and convenient thing plot-wise. She gets on board. She's able to get Obi-Wan in because even once she gets inside, she can just kind of walk over to any terminal and start opening external ports to the <laughs> to the building. Once again, how has this thing not been infiltra infiltrated before with such lax security? Obi-Wan does swim in and he is pretty effective here. There's the one thing that if you are an Obi-Wan fan, I think that you do see him be skilled you know he can actually swim underwater and he has good with his lightsaber and his force powers are returning so all of that is good if you just like to see obi-wan be adept at being a jedi a vast improvement over last week where he was pulled through the fire but he's still kind of dumb <laughs> i mean he has made some really really dumb decisions throughout this whole entire show and number one is he knocks out that stormtrooper and dude you put on the stormtrooper outfit we learned this in the first star wars movie i know that's in the future to you but <laughs> pretty obvious. You can go anywhere you want with one of those Stormtrooper outfits on. But he doesn't do that because of reasons. And somehow, once again, I apologize. Don't remember this actress's name. She's actually pretty good as this double agent. She somehow knows exactly where he is in the building at all times and can guide him around. I'm not sure what technology she's using for that. But this massive thing that goes deep in underwater, she can easily guide him around it. He finds a bunch of Jedis, I believe, that are entombed in this building. Why? I'm not sure why. Maybe that's still plot to come. Not that I'm that interested in it, but we only have two more episodes, so I'm not sure how much they can develop that. I was hoping to see like Mace Windu or somebody in there. Meanwhile, Leia is actually able to keep Reva from getting into her head, which maybe exposes that she has some force powers here. Once again, showing her hand in a way that this is all supposed to be news to Vader and everything in the upcoming in timeline original trilogy of films. Still doesn't make any sense to me, but... And then in the middle of torturing Leia, Reva gets called out, distracted by the spy. 
and in the moment it seems like she can't see through her story at all. I mean, if she has all these force powers, she could easily tell whether this person is lying or not, theoretically. And that's not a criticism, by the way, because there is one supposed payoff here that m would make sense, but <laughs> I'll debunk that as well. <laughs> Obi-Wan does take out the stormtroopers that are watching Leia while Third Sister wanders off, conveniently, and runs off with her. And we see that all of a sudden, Obi-Wan is way better with the Force. He can actually keep this glass from shattering and keep the water from coming in. And this sequence is so dumb. At first, I'm kind of excited to see that Obi-Wan has regained his power to only then be able to like move the broken glass down the hall and push the water into the stormtroopers. And the stormtroopers are still trying to pry the doors open, even though they see that the glass is shattering. Why? I mean, though they see what's about to happen. So they're even dumber than the rest of the people on the show, which is saying a lot, by the way. And then he's able to outrun the water, even though it, he was like literally in the midst of it as it's pouring into the hallway and drowns everybody else, but not Obi-Wan somehow. Maybe he uses force powers to create a bubble of air around him. Who knows? Who knows? It's just convenience, of course. And then we get to the finale and just as they're about to make their escape, Leia's under Obi-Wan's coat. But just as that moment, third sister and fifth brother show up with a squadron of stormtroopers. But some of these rebels have swooped in, shoot up all the stormtroopers and let them make their escape and potentially one of them dies here. Maybe one, maybe not, maybe he survives, who knows. But they seem to have lost one of them. And this is when Vader takes third sister and chokes her out and says, you let them escape. How dare you let them escape? You failed me one time too many. And she says, no, I put a tracking device on her robot. Lola, I think it's called. We're going to track them right to the path. We're going to take out all the rebels. It was all part of my plan. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. I'll grant you in the moment, this seemed kind of cool until like everything on the show, you just think about it for just one second and you think, if her plan was to let them escape, then how come they were all about to arrest them on the deck? They knew the rebels were going to show up and try to rescue them. They couldn't have known that. It would have been impossible because that was happening light years away. So under what circumstances can you buy that this thing makes any sense at all? So that's what happens in the episode. Not too much. We get to see Leia and Reva interact. Not great. I really don't like either one of these characters. And they don't improve things by putting them in the room together. Obi-Wan does get to show off some of his powers. He's suddenly very adept with the lightsaber, which is good to see. I'm glad to see him in action. Ewan McGregor looks good with the lightsaber. But just how he can navigate that place and they can just get in there, walk around. This is such an easy heist to get into this like impenetrable place, supposedly. It just seems ridiculous. And that's the least of it, by the way. So many action movies, you know, people do the impossible thing and it looks pretty easy. So, okay, I'll grant you that that's just usual action movie baloney, but I can't get over the character stuff. I can't get over that Darth Vader somehow knew about his daughter all these years ago and then what, forgot for the next 10 years? Or pretended to forget? Who is he pretending for? That everybody knows who Darth Vader, that Darth Vader's Anakin. Isn't that supposed to be like a secret to everybody in the original trilogy? If they know Leia is his daughter, don't they know about Luke also? And then why do they just leave Luke alone all that time? Maybe that's intentional too. Maybe we'll find out. Vader says, no, I'm going to let him get to full age and then I'm going to seduce him to the dark side and blah, blah, blah. And it was all part of my plan. But how much does that once again steal from that original trilogy that this was just a boy who didn't know he had this great future ahead of him? And it's like all the things that this series has repeatedly done. He's not just a kid who becomes a hero, who takes, you know, uh, Joseph Campbell's uh, heroic journey where he answers the call. 
he had midichlorians. He was destined to be the chosen one. And not only that, now we're going to say what, that Vader knew about him the whole entire time and just let him stay there, like was basically keeping tabs on him this whole entire time. What is the point of any of this? <laughs> I don't get it. I'm just going to go back to my hobby horse here. There are so many stories you can tell here. And you would think, you would think the Mandalorian taught them that, that the success they had with the Mandalorian critically and with fans to go in there and say, we're just going to just going to go to the Star Wars universe. And we are going to tell stories there. These are missionaries. These are people who are fighting on the fringes of the universe. These are people who are going on a suicide run to save their people, to save their planet. These little individual stories. And people loved it, right? Because you have fan fiction that gets to play on the fringes of the universe. And occasionally tie in, you would assume, with bigger historical moments within the series itself. And instead, now you're co-opting the storylines from earlier films and then rewriting character histories in ways that are not interesting. I mean, I'm going to go and call out the Solo movie, which goes and completely de demystifies the Han Solo character and gives it supposedly the, this arc of being a bleeding heart in his youth. And then he goes on that same arc again in the original trilogy of films where he goes from being a mercenary to a hero. I mean, we already saw that. But that didn't happen until he was much older. So all you're doing is borrowing that same arc and putting it in his youth. What is the point of any of this? Really? What is the point? I call it fan fiction, but honestly, that's an insult to some of this really good fan fiction that has come out of Star Wars. Some of these comic books, some of this just straight up fan fiction, some of these novels that have been written are much, much better than anything that we're seeing here. And they could have adapted any one of those and probably done a better job. All right, so that is <laughs> my very, very negative opinion of this Obi-Wan episode. I will not be recapping next week, but will come back for a wrap-up at the finale, probably with Nick. Later this week, you'll have another episode where I do speak to Nick about Obi-Wan, about Stranger Things, maybe The Boys as well, and possibly my review of Jurassic World as well, the new Jurassic World movie. All depends on what if I can make time to go to the movie theater or not. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Oh, and of course, The Boys, the fourth episode of The Boys coming tomorrow night, and I will be giving you my opinion on that latest episode as well. That was perfect, Gene. Wow, really? It was unbelievable. I loved how engaged the class was. I loved how warm you are on stage. Now I can tell teaching gives you joy. You know it does, but what about Annie? So where are you from? I'm New York by way of Minnesota. You're a talent. The way you photographed Gene, you made him so... Uh, Masculine? No. Uh, virile? No. Rugged? Brawny? Mm -hmm. Gallant? Nope. Uh, robust? Lantern-jawed? Un homme pour tout saison? No, 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 no. Tall? Absolutely. He was like a real giant out there. He was uh, very Adonis-like. Yeah. And actually, it was, it was all really due to Annie. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk to you about Shining Girls, but I want to talk to you about Barry, first of all, because I don't know how you felt about this week, but I thought this week was absolutely incredible, like an incredible episode of television. I love Barry. It means, like, I feel like every episode has a slightly different vibe yeah and this one was a little bit like a horror movie but black comedy too 
with an element of like fantasy. Yeah, with the whole like <laughs> him dying on the beach. How great was that? I know that was great. But you know what's so impressive to me about the the show is that, and I mentioned this in an earlier episode, that I wasn't really 100% vibing on the show. I was kind of feeling it out, but maybe I just haven't seen it in so many years. I wasn't really getting the tone of it. And now it's like, not only is it incredible uh, what they're doing on the show, but I felt like specifically this week, it's just amazing that you have that hilarious scene where Noho Hank is standing there waiting to get blow darted in the neck because he didn't want to be rude. <laughs> <laughs> and you have that in the same episode as that father talking about the death of his son. And it's and it works somehow. And these like tones are all over the place, but it doesn't feel like uh, wrong. Like I, there are definitely other movies and shows that kind of go for this all over the place tone that doesn't work for me. I feel like I can't buy in on anything. I think that they're pulling everything off, which is incredible, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And we won't jump there, although I seem like I'm jumping. The girlfriend episode was fantastic. Oh, the uh, uh, what's happening with Sally, you mean? Yes. She is such a mess. I agree. I think what's happening with Sally is so interesting. And someone on a different podcast that I was listening listening to mentioned something that I thought was very interesting. They basically talk about how Sally has somehow become infected. She's become infected with the same thing that Barry has, that she's now having this screaming at her ex coworker, And, you know, she's going into a very dark place. Literally, there's this interesting moment when she's backing away from her agent and the, like, the, wall, the room behind her is blacked out so that she's just on this black background. And uh, it's as if she's like now going down the Barry road, like, you know, she's raging out and maybe we'll start like doing some of these uh, psychological tortures that he suggested a couple episodes ago. I think it's funny that you said she's infected. He <laughs> is like a virus yeah. just spreading throughout like all people that he runs into and just, but Going back to the other thing I said, like, remember, they are all getting their dreams coming true right. and in a way, but it's like when you win the lottery or if you find a genie and you're like, you have three wishes and you wish these three wishes, but they all come with like really severe circumstances and yeah. awful scenarios. <laughs> it's like the monkey's paw. <laughs> that you did not realize came along with them. Right. That's what these people's lives are like. <laughs> But you know what's interesting about you saying that? It makes me think about the fact that I don't know if the show has any kind of morality to it, because like when you think about the Coen brothers, which I think of a lot when I watch this show and you watch whatever, whether it's Raising Arizona or, you know, No Country for Old Men, like something more serious or something more slapstick, they punish their characters for being morally wrong, like Fargo, another example of it. They definitely have a morality to their work. And this is also a very black comedy, makes me think of the Coen brothers, obviously. But I don't feel a morality here because to your point, I think it's interesting that like Gene has learned from his lessons, has taken this opportunity, and he still is right now at this moment anyway, still on this like glide path of success. But you look at Sally and Sally supposedly got exactly what she wanted. She did nothing wrong other than be her usual self, you know, now has lost everything. She's not a great person, but she didn't necessarily do anything that just the fates were just cruel to her, right? For no reason. I don't think so. I think she deserves this awful punishment because she's just kind of a jerk all the time. Even when you first meet her and it's not her fault that Barry's all obsessed with her and projecting all these things on her that are not her. 
And she just becomes more of a jerk as she gets more and more success. I don't ever see her not being a jerk. So I enjoy that she's, <laughs> she's being destroyed yeah. in every way. Like, it's but, fun when we were talking yeah. about how insufferable she was. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's so good to have someone who's just so unlikable be the center of all this negative, funny stuff. I kind of root for her misery. I, I mean, I agree that she has been a terrible person. I'm just saying that the show doesn't seem to have a morality in the fact that Jean was also an absolutely horrible person who's destroyed people's lives, right? Sally was never as big a monster as Jean, but Jean does get to have redemption, at least once again, <laughs> this is all contingent on next week. Gene might be dead by the end of next week. That's actually potentially one of the people who dies uh, next week because someone dies. And, and meanwhile, the show seems to be very empathetic to Noho Hank and to Cristobal, let's say. And those people have murdered <laughs> many, many people, right? So that's why I mean the show is immoral. People are good and bad, but I just feel like the show doesn't take an opinion on what is a good act and what is a bad act because Gene gets to redeem himself and Sally does not. <laughs> if Sally was in Gene's position of ever having any fame, she would have been so much more of a monster than Gene was. Gene is just, you know, he thinks these thoughts and they come out of his mouth and they're not appropriate and he shouldn't do it. But that's what he was thinking. She's like more self-centered even. You think about Gene's history, not in the context of the show, but you look at his previous history where when he was a uh, renowned actor, you know, who, who never made it big, but he was supposedly a voice of his generation or something early in his career that, you know, we hear about his relationship with Annie and we hear about many like Joe Montaigne, just one example, but you talk about how he has literally tried to destroy the lives of everybody who worked with him because his ego was so massive. Sally on her show, the worst thing she did was kind of be neglectful to Natalie, kind of treat her like as, you know, just an assistant, even though they were basically friends beforehand. Her behavior is kind of, she got a little bit of success and it went a little bit to her head. She wasn't out there like intentionally destroying people's lives like uh, like Jean was back in the day, right? I don't know. I feel like if she was given a chance is what I'm saying, she could be worse than him. She hasn't had the chance to be worse. Right. Yeah, maybe. If yes. the show had become a success, she would have become a total egomaniac. That's definitely the case. Other than that, calling out specific shots, the special effect when he walks down the street, and you see like the water breaking on the street and he like walks onto the beach. It's like pretty amazing. You know, it's a pretty simple effect, but like really like uh, you know, jaw dropping, like beautifully done in the show and just very surprising over and over again. The show is surprising. Do you notice also, and each character has their own completely separate storyline. Yes. Whereas everybody was kind of in the same storyline before yep. everyone's kind of on their own, like Gene's right. doing his storyline and then Sally has hers and he has his own storyline, Barry. Right. None of the storylines look like they're connected right now. I would say that is actually interesting. I think about like, you know, just correlating it to something that's on right now, the most recent season of Stranger Things, like the first half, that those seem to be like people who are, yes, tangentially, they're all trying to solve this mystery, but the characters never interact with each other. And they really does feel like they have spread them out too far and they really, you know, are just trying to keep all the characters busy in that particular show. I agree that the storylines on this show rarely intersect, except that, you know, Barry pops up in each one of these people's lives, at least earlier in the season at this point. He has not interacted with many of these people for a few episodes at this point. But I agree with that. But it doesn't feel discombobulated because I think, first of all, they all have the power, maybe not Sally, but the rest of them have the power of 
hurting Barry because, you know, obviously the net is tightening around him. But beyond that, I also think that they all correlate to each other because of that thematic thing that we said before, right? Where like Barry can destroy any one of these people. Barry can save any, any one of these people. Barry's life, you know, everybody's lives have been changed by Barry. Like we talked before about whether for better or worse, they're tied together without realizing that they're tied together. No, what it feels like is that all these storylines are going to implode into each other. Yes. Yeah. So there's an element of suspense because of the separate storylines. Right. Yeah. Cause they all are tied to, they're all tied to Barry. Like they all know too much about Barry. Barry obviously is (laughs) literally on death's door here. Um, (laughs) And uh, you know, and Gene of course knows about him and, and now we have Moss, right? Jim. Uh, How great was that? By the way, Jim Moss bunny from the wire, by the way, another, wire alumnus on this episode. That is so great. I noticed yeah. that. And he's so great, like instantaneously within like two minutes, he just like kind of grabs <laughs> the screen. He's, but I just thought, how great is it for him just casually telling Fuchs, hey, why don't you jump in the car with me? And Fuchs is just babbling away. And he rolls straight up to the police station. <laughs> <laughs> so, so great. Funny. <laughs> I also love how Fuchs in that whole conversation could not get past the fact that he had gotten his captor to commit suicide. <laughs> Like he two was different... so impressed. Like, I mean, what do you think for next week? Yeah, the, for the finale, I Jim is going. Is to... it the finale, really? Yeah, next week's the finale. Oh yeah. my gosh, this is the imploding storyline. Yeah, exactly. Episode. We're, we're coming up. I on thought it. I exactly. had another one to go. I, no, I was no. off by one. Okay, well. Yeah. So yeah, wait. I mean, it's you know, Jim. Uh, <laughs> I assume is going to track down Barry at the hospital and going to psychologically torture him <laughs> i think right that would be so great and albert is heading i think to the same place right they're all heading to the same place you think he's shadowing of what he's going to be doing well i mean that's an interesting scene also when he talks to fuchs and fuchs kind of lays it all out on the line and i like the fact that albert immediately believes fuchs's story though he like kind of comes in there playing like he's suspicious of it but like fuchs as soon as he knows his biography He's like, oh my God, you're Albert. So right away, you see Albert's face change because he's like, oh man, he really does know Barry because he knows the story about Barry. And then, you know, even the fact that Fuchs goes, remember how you saw him blow up? How, you know, you saw him go like psycho on, you know, that day? Well, I harnessed that into a little business. (laughs) And so Albert is, I don't know, is he out to arrest Barry? Is he out to protect Barry? I wonder if his loyalty to Barry is that strong. That's a very interesting question. What do you think? I think if this was in a vacuum, I would think he's going to try to arrest Barry. If I, uh, you know, from a story writing perspective, I think that he now knows that Jim is going to get Barry and whether he just wants to arrest Barry and keep Jim from murdering him, like in the hospital, I think he's going to protect Barry, not because he thinks Barry's like a great guy and he loves him so much, but just because he knows that like, Jim is going to go and murder him, basically. So it's going to be a, you know, he's going to intervene just to, I would assume to, you know, go through the proper channels with the, but of course, I do not think that Barry's going to get arrested. I think Barry's going to somehow get out of this. Maybe Fuchs shows up and I'm not sure. That would be great though if Fuchs showed up. All right. So someone dies next week. If you, and I have no idea who it is, so I can't answer the question for you. If you had to guess who's going to die, what, what would be your guess? Sally. You think? I don't think Sally's going to die. What is she even doing on the show anymore, except kind of falling apart for our entertainment? No, Sally's definitely going to stick around. You think? I think Sally's too important because Sally is the 
fantasy, the completely unrealistic fantasy that Barry had of a regular life. And he has to see her become a toxic person. He has to like, see, he, she has to come to him and say, I want you to psychologically torture all that stuff you said, <laughs> all those Reddit tortures you were telling me about. I have a list of people I want you to go and torture. And he's going to be like, what? You know, like he's going to see her in a new light. I think that's, that's my guess. So who do you think is going to die? I think Fuchs has to die. I could see that working. It would be more entertaining to have Sally live than Fugues, actually, because she is very funny. She's one of my favorite parts of the show. I feel like Fuchs has run his course in the fact that he is so great on the show. First of all, Barry is ruining Fuchs's life and Fuchs is ruining Barry's life. And Barry basically has to deal with the consequences of not having a Fuchs for better or worse. Like, let's say he can somehow reform himself next season because there is another season coming. And obviously, you know, if Fuchs is still around and he's on a vendetta to, you know, get Barry caught or whatever, it's like, we just did that this season. We can't do that again. Like, so, you know, what purpose does he serve at that point? You know, that's true. And he is the biggest threat with the knowledge he has or 50% yeah. of the knowledge. He's still one of the biggest threats. My bigger question is how do, if we have, I assume they're, they're, they're not just pulling our leg and they're actually going to have this next season of Barry. If that's true, my question is, how does Barry keep going on? Like just the character, how does he keep surviving in the world without getting arrested? Because everybody knows, <laughs> you know, pretty much everybody knows or will know by the end of next episode that Barry's the killer who did all this, unless Fuchs takes the fall. Actually, that's the other thing. Fuchs could take the fall somehow, redeem himself by, you know, and then end up in jail. And that, that way they, it serves the same purpose without killing him off. But that doesn't make sense because Jim Moss is not going to believe that for a second. He knows already that Barry definitely is the person. <laughs> I love how he like stares at Gene Kusanow's forehead and sees the sweat beating up and he knows all he needs to know. It was obvious that he was <laughs> just a disaster when he was talking about, you know, oh, Barry's great. Barry's such a great guy. <laughs> He's, He's like so sweat pouring down his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. And where are things going to end up? How does, it looks like Hank and his compatriots, there's only four people in this house. So he can, they can probably, if they can bust out, they can probably take them. But then how does things end up with Hank and Cristobal? I don't know. That's a storyline, to be honest with you. Like I've liked that storyline and it's interesting to see Hank play different. They're such a great actor, by the way, but it's just fun to see him playing a different type of, side of that character this season. But that really does feel disconnected from the rest of the show, to be honest with you. Like he really is in a separate show. <laughs> not that it's not entertaining. Well, it's some of the most entertaining scenes. talks to Barry on the phone, but I see what <laughs> yes, you're saying. Yes. And Barry goes to him for advice occasionally. So yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to have the same show with the same kind of impact, thematically even, you could really cut out Hank and out of this season. And it really feels like he's more tacked on than than any of the, of the other characters, you know? But I still, hey, not to say that I dislike having him on the show. He's great. You know, some of the funniest scenes are, are his, so. And we'll see if they can, you know, unify all these threads in the next season. Oh. Someone stole the truck. Broad daylight. Put your seatbelt on. Seatbelt. People safety. We're stealing a f***ing chip. I do not give a shit, man. Put your seatbelt on. We're not Go! Apparently it was full of chips. I've never seen anything like that. You're good thieves. Best in town. Oh, thank you. It is a small town. I have a recommendation for you in line with Barry and that show. Not a sitcom, but a half hour comedy slash drama 
that you may have seen. Maybe you've seen this. And I've recommended this on the podcast before, but I never recommended it to you specifically. So I'm going to recommend it to you, not only because I think you're going to really like it, but because the second season is coming in like two weeks. So it's coming soon. And it's Reservation Dogs. Have you seen Reservation Dogs? I'm not sure. Probably not if I can't recall. What is it about? Okay. So this is something you could binge in one day. I think it's about three hours total. It's like eight 30-minute episodes. So it's called Reservation Dogs based on Reservoir Dogs, the name of it. First of all, it's available on Hulu and on FX. So anybody who has FX or you have Hulu, you can watch this now. And season two is coming in just a couple of weeks. And this was maybe my favorite show of last year. And what this was, it's a half hour show. Does not So not a long time to binge this. And it's about a bunch of teenagers who live on a Native American reservation and they call themselves reservation dogs. And what is so great about this is that these kids are awesome. Like you love every one of these characters. They're so well fleshed out. They have, you know, they're, 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 they really feel like teenagers or, or, or young people. They have that, that kind of attitude, but totally lovable at the same time. And the show starts off just hysterically funny. I would say the pilot episode is the worst episode of the show. It feels very much like kind of a sitcom. It feels like kind of traditional. After the first episode, I guess they needed to have something pretty standard to get their green light for the whole season. After that first episode, the show just becomes so goofy and just tries to be whatever it wants to be. It has like no formula. It's absolutely hilarious. It's so incredibly funny. But then I'd say maybe like four, five episodes in, the show starts to talk about some really, really serious stuff. And there's an episode towards the end of the season that is so utterly emotionally devastating. And it punched me in the gut. I was completely not ready for this show to hit me this hard. And it's just so great. I'm like, wow, these kids are great. The writing is great. It's like a, a whole culture, this like Oklahoma Native American reservation, a whole nation within itself that I have know nothing about and a whole show set in there, which is so strange, like a parallel American history, really fascinating. Everybody in the cast is incredible. So just a bunch of incredible Native American actors that I've never seen do anything before. And they're all incredible. They all can have their own shows, each one of them. So amazing and charismatic. As a matter of fact, the one guy who's the cop who's kind of like an idiot, it has, he's on that um, uh, Dark Winds, which is about to come out this week. He's on a, another police uh, procedural as well coming out this week. He, he's great. And, uh, and he always plays like a bad guy or like a real tough guy. And he's like a moron, hilarious idiot on this show, like really playing against his usual type. And just a bunch of great performances. But like I said, and then just when you think this thing's just a really funny, like comedy, it goes and hits you so hard. I'm like, wow, what a show. Holy cow. Great stuff. That sounds great. It's I incredible. just actually <laughs> put it on my list while, I, while you were talking about it. Check it out. It's, it's on there. Maybe I'll watch it tonight. You can binge the whole thing in one night. So it leaves things on a place where kind of like being an adolescent, it's just like, I don't know what happens next. And it's very poignant and really strong. And it could have just ended after one season, by the way, because of that strong finale. But, uh, you know, but I'm glad they brought it back for another season because I'm sure there's much more to find out about these people. Like I said, every one of these cast members, every one of these kids could have their own show. They're so charismatic. They're just terrific. Yeah. So check that out. And, you know, maybe we'll follow that show when it comes back. I'm going to definitely watch it. Maybe, maybe right now. I'm <laughs> going to watch on. it Throw right it now. I, it's literally <laughs> on my list now. So. Oh, nobody was here. You don't care who's here. No, I swear I would, wouldn't have hurt you. Because I have a gun and you're on the ground. Just let me go. I can go right now. I'll just walk out the door. I'll just walk out the door right now, please. And you won't come back? No, never. I'll never see my face again. I promise. 
You can't not be who you are. Second son of a German mother. When she died, no one wanted you. Not even the nuns. And they'll take anyone. At least that's what you tell yourself in your head. And it makes you think that the world owes you. And that you can take whatever you want from whoever there is. This is mine. This is my house. How are you doing this? I don't know you. No. Not today. But I am always with you. Get out. Or I'll kill you. I've done it before. All right. So moving on to Shining Girls, how did you think this all played out at the end? What did you think of that? Well, Shining Girls. <laughs> yeah. This is my like third grade analogy of Shining Girls. <laughs> okay. That's how I feel. I have to explain it at this point with all the analysis we've attempted. <laughs> right. The house is magic. Yes. And she has learned how to control time. Yeah. And she can now go and mess with everybody who messed with her by going back in time and finding them and torturing them. Torturing that them is or, my, or actually, you know, he's, she saves a lot of those. Um, she rescues a lot of those uh, women, right? We see at the end and the montage that all the women have kind of survived. Well, she is like a time superhero because the house yep. is magic. Yep. That's right. <laughs> Okay, so I'll tell you what's in the book now that we're out of the show. <laughs> Was that a test? Now you're <laughs> going to tell me like, well, nope. No, well, Here's what really happens. Oh, no, no. I'm going to actually say that they've changed significantly things from the book to the, the show. So the first thing that they changed, most people think that the book is better, but it's very different than the show. So the first thing in the book is that you spend multiple chapters learning about each one of these girls. So each one of those girls has kind of like equal weight as protagonists for sections of the book. They all die until Kirby. Kirby survives. And then Kirby, when she survives, starts to hunt this guy down. And we see most of what happened in the show. So that's the framework. The second thing about the book that's different is that we get introduced to the killer very early on. However, very intentionally, the author does not glamorize the killer. We know like nothing about his biography. You know, he's basically intentionally, they want to make the focus about the women rather than about the serial killer. So she intentionally wanted to write a book where, you know, there is a serial killer, but that it's not about the killer. It's about the victims and, you know, their potential and everything else, right? They created his biography basically in the show because we know very little about his biography in the book itself. Now, here's where things get really interesting, difference wise. In the book, he changes time, but no one else perceives those changes in time. So they've added to the show that when he kills somebody, she sees her history changing, right? And uh, but we, but that's not what happens in the book. In the book, he's the only one that perceives these times. She does not, which is interesting. I think that's good that they made that that connection between the two of them because it just it, it makes it a better metaphor for her trauma, like for her to not be able to trust what she's seeing. So I think that's that's interesting, a good uh, addition. But here's something that's interesting in the book that's not in the movie. In the book, we have no idea where this house came from. He literally stumbles upon this house. And here's the crazy thing about this. He walks in there and the house basically tells him who he has to kill. 
and he finds like a board with these women and these times and everything. And here's the crazy part about it. It's as if he's always been at the house because the names on the board are written in his own handwriting that somehow some version of himself in the future has put all those people there for him to find and then kill them all. And then he's like, you know, sent off on this mission by some version of, of himself in the future, but it's like this closed loop, right? Cause you're like, well, how did he get there? Right. It's like, there's still no explanation to that, you know, kind of infinite loop of what's happening inside the house. And the other thing that's weird, cause I'm not sure they make this clear in the show is that the house is like actually evil. Like the house encourages him to kill like these women, like it, like, uh, uh, does stuff to, uh, to, um, to point him in the direction of different women. And he sees them. He calls them the shining girls, which is not addressed at all in this show, by the way, because he can literally see them shining when he sees them. So it's like these women with like, I guess, theoretically, we're supposed to say that these women had a lot of potential and could have been something great. And then somehow the house is trying to kill them off for some reason, but we don't understand. And by the way, the last big change is that at the end, she doesn't like get wooed by the house and become its owner she burns it down she destroys the house and her and dan make out that's the big finale so she ends up having a traditional romantic ending with dan uh dan doesn't die in the book so um yeah so that's the way the novel is different than the show <laughs> which one of those versions would you prefer do you think i like the book version yeah it's got a lot more mystery yeah. this has a lot of mystery because we're so confused so we're like oh what does that mean <laughs> but the book sounds like it had a plan she had a vision and wrote these books that i'm gonna read now because it's yeah. not even the same thing that we saw i did like shining girls but the book would have explained things if it was the same plot that we don't still know about like Here's is the, the house yeah evil or is it the land that the house is built upon or is it the wood was it an evil tree like <laughs> what thing, right? is exactly. so evil like why is this house evil what's weird in the context of the show let's just talk about the show because they've obviously modified things and it still is very weird even in that last episode we see at the beginning of this most recent episode that this guy is out collecting flowers he is pressing them, right? So it's very interesting that he collects things, right? Because we do see that tie in later in the show. Then he finds this house, which is a house built theoretically 50 years later, right? It's the house in the style of uh, turn of the century style, the, the, those um, townhouses. He finds it, but it's 1850 something. So this is like 60 years before this house is supposed to exist. He finds it in the middle of a field. He walks inside and he, we don't see this person who he finds. So we don't know if it is potentially that person may be actually a Harper. It could actually be him. We don't know for sure. But all we see of this person, because we never see his face, is his shoes, sneakers. So we know that it's someone who's completely out of time because no one's wearing plastic sneakers in 1850, right? And he leaves a note behind saying, all yours, right? And this guy takes the body down. It <laughs> doesn't tell anyone about this. And, you know, supposedly we figure he figures out how to use the house because he, he's still in the house later on, right? Like that's the person that Harper finds who eventually runs out into the middle of the street in the 1950s and then dies, right? So he spent many years there. Oh, and by the way, he's also the person who's in that photo with the address on it that that nun or former nun uh, that Harper you know, kills or assaults and takes that photograph from. I guess he seduced her or something at some point, had some kind of relationship. And she knew that the house is time traveling because she has that tell that a watch from the 1970s, right? So it makes sense that she knew what was going on inside the house because she, or else she would be like terrified by <laughs> modern electronics showing up in their hands. So yeah, so that's kind of the 
thumbnail sketch there. But in the show, they don't explain where this house came from, obviously. And it also seems that the house picks who can control it because we see like Harper can control the house and then she can control the house, right? So she comes to the house. The house is somehow just the way that she, the house somehow lured Harper there, lured her there. So what's interesting, and this is the question I have for you after that whole preamble is if the house is evil and picked him because he knew they knew he was evil. And now at the end of the show, it's not like the book where she burns the house down when she understands what it is. In this case, she now uses the power of the house to potentially go after these men, torture them, whatever. The house is seducing her to be evil? Like, is, is that how you read that? Like, wh- what do you think? It could be that she has figured out how to time travel. She has figured out the mystery of this house somehow. She's figured out how to mess with everyone who ever messed with her. She's figured out how to save these women's lives. Right. So I don't think she's evil. Maybe she has figured out how to manipulate the house or the evil in the house, how to harness it. Because none of the things she's doing, except for the revenging part, are actually evil. And if the house was controlling her, it wouldn't just let her go save all these women that the house wanted dead. Right. But that's the thing I don't understand. If that, And once again, this is the if, because what's not nothing's ever explicitly said in the show. But if, let's say that presumably the house is picking Harper, it, let's say it's like it is in the book and it may not be, but let's say it is that the house picks Harper because he want, it wants Harper to go and kill those women. Then the house is, you know, there's no good... <laughs> theory of that case, right? The house is mean, is evil, right? And if now it has picked her, these are there are a lot of ifs here, by the way, right? But if the house has picked her, then what does it see in her? Uh, maybe she's so damaged from what happened that he it knows that it's going to be, she's going to be, uh, you know, even more messed up. But then there's also no indication that the guy before was murdering women. He, you know, he, uh, so I don't know. I, I honestly don't know how, how to read some of that at the end there. I <laughs> How do we um, explain how the what like the house could have lost its power when she took it over? No, she She's can too still. Smart for the she house. still has the. She still has power over the My house. My joke text was not even a joke text when you were talking about this. Where I'm like, she's the smartest one. Like she has what? figured out how to control the house. But you know what? Think about this. Like so, for example, let's just talk about something that we see in the show. And we can, and once again, I'm not saying this is correct <laughs> because I'm not sure if it's correct <laughs> or not, but we see him reading the newspaper and then he sees a newspaper article about the woman being killed at the planetarium, right? So he reads that article and then the light above him changes and the coffee cup he's drinking changes in his hand, right? And he goes like, hmm. So it's like the house is telling him this is the one, right? Once again, this is an if, like if you read this the way I'm just saying, right? So let's say that the house is making that decision and saying, drawing his attention to this article as he reads it to say, this is, you know, this is your next person, right? So let's say that's what's happening there. Later on, he grabs a telephone wire and tries to strangle her with it. And every time he tries to hurt her, like the, the, uh, the telephone wire wrapped around her neck turns into a, a, a string of pearls and breaks. So the house is protecting her because she's the next owner of the house, right? So once again, if the house is <laughs> murderous in one moment, I don't think it's just churned, turned nice all of a sudden. So why did it pick her? Basically, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> that's my question. Why did it pick her? I don't no, know if you have an answer to that. <laughs> turn nice. I mean, does the fact that she 
didn't die have anything to do with this? She tricked the house and this guy who thought he killed her when he didn't, leaving her in all these weird time loops that could have happened later. But initially, nobody knew she was dead. True, but there's definitely a indication that the house, like in the book, once again, and I'm using extra extra textually here, using the book as a sub, sub of a reference, the house has basically created, you know, uh, coincidences or events to draw Harper to it, right? And and once again, it, that does not mean that the show has to comply with what the book had in it. But if we think about that to see if the show does map to that, for example, Harper walks into the house and he could just be breaking into a random house and he just happened to be the guy who walked in. And that's why this was what happened. But when Harper walks into the house and he's with Leo, Leo doesn't have that power. So the house is definitely picking Harper over. And now once again, she walks into the house and other people have walked into the house before too, right? Clara walked into the house and probably other women and other people have walked into the house subsequently over the you know many years that he's been there. And the house is his. He even says so, right? He goes, this house is mine. He knows that Clara can't pick another time. Clara won't even remember she ever went to the house, right? As opposed to him who has full control of the house. And once again, if the, if this is the house making that decision, and it remains to be seen, but if that's the case, then once again, wh- what does it say that she is now the controller of the house? Like, is that does that speak well of her or not is my question, basically. I just think that she figured out a way to manipulate the house, like to charm the house, to bend it to her will. Maybe. Um, what do you think she wrote in Dan's notebook to, she says, if you remember, and I don't know what this is, by the way. So once again, it's just a question. She, he's like, I think I know you. And she goes, if you remember, you'll know where to find me or something like that. What do you think she put in his notebook? It could just be like the address to the house, I guess, but then that would be a little, a little obvious, right? That'd just be like, he might just show up to be like, hey, this lady wants me to come visit her at her house. It has to be something like, that you know. The other version of himself would know. Yeah. And nothing horrible. Like if you remember this bloody like corpse, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be something memorable and sweet and like endearing. That's what I think. But what would it be? Elizabeth Moss has said specifically that she didn't want to turn it into like the corny romance at the end where like her and Dan are going to end up together, but they wanted to leave that door open without being too on the nose about it, which I think is better than, you know, them, them making out at the end of the book, which is a little cheesy. Cause I mean, did they obviously ever make they had, out? like, would, did they have a make out scene in the show? No, I'm pretty sure they never made out. No, because that would have been a good memory, but <laughs> yeah. that's not going to work. Cause I'm trying to remember. And I'm like, no, I don't remember anyone making out like she slept on the couch. Yeah. There was no romance. It could be, I mean, I'm trying to think of what it could be. It could have been one of the objects they found in the women that like somehow led them to the house. Maybe that would be like, you know, like a little breadcrumb for him to follow Hmm. anyway. But anyway, what I did like about the episode, I would say just as a specific thriller show, I thought they did a really cool thing where when he finds out that they're like closing in on him, Harper, this is that he just starts to go like on a killing spree her uh, world is changing very rapidly to the point where you know she doesn't even work at the newspaper anymore. And that all happens over the course of just a few minutes, right? Like their world is changing drastically. And it's also very scary to just think about him just kind of stomping through time and just murdering people arbitrarily to, to like mess with their timelines. And the other thing I thought was pretty cool was the way that whole ending played out 
it was very satisfying in its own way. It may be illogical <laughs> for all the reasons I said before, but very satisfying to see him getting gaslit the way he's been doing this whole time, where he's having she's having Clara say to him the things he's going to say before he says them. She takes a picture of him and leaves it behind at the you know that ex nun's apartment the, the day that he supposedly would have killed the nun, and then like basically makes him not die in the house, but lets him go out so that Leo will be like, you never fought in the war. And all of a sudden he's just like, yeah, yeah, that's right. So that he now is like in that mind prison that she was in for her whole entire life. Right. So it's like really a uh, very sweet revenge in a way uh, that she's doing there. Although maybe speaks to <laughs> the, how cruel she's become as well, but still it's very, uh, very satisfying. I think. I like the show. I thought it was very entertaining all the way through. So even though I'm confused by it, I like it. i've seen a lot of much more confusing stuff though that was not satisfying at all maybe they're going to have a season two where she's the master of the house i think that they probably left things the way they did because maybe just maybe they would come back with another season and maybe there would be somebody else harper could come back or maybe there could be somebody else who's coming back to the house and maybe she gets corrupted by the house but then she has to decide to burn it down to like so that this doesn't happen again and blah 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 I think that that would be a satisfying second season. And there's a lot of questions, like all these questions I had today could have potentially been fleshed out a little bit more in that book. But I have a feeling that the ratings were not good for this show. So I do not think there's going to be another season. So, But I did think it was pretty good. I did think it was pretty good. I did like it. I liked it. I recommend it. Yeah, I recommend it, even though I don't know what happened <laughs> at the end. But I, I still recommend it. I mean, that's not necessarily a detrimental thing because I thought from moment to moment, the performances were good. The suspense was good. The show's very stylish. So, and I think it's intentionally leaving things unexplained. You know, that intention goes a long way. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the conversation. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.